Luke chapter 11, if you've got your Bibles, don't turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, a lot of times when we talk about things in here in the Bible, a lot of it doesn't apply to everybody. Today, it will apply to everybody because there's one common factor that we all have in common and it touches every person in this nation. Tell me the only thing in this nation that touches everybody, money. Money is the one thing we all have in common. Money is the one thing every person's got to have. And we're going to talk about money today, and I'm not going to beg for yours. We're going to talk about money. I want you to see what the Bible has to say about money, and I want you to listen to what I'm fixing to say. This is a word from the Lord this morning, because there's something coming in the nation, and you need to know this. Now, we're studying in Luke chapter 11, where Jesus taught you and I to pray. This is the pattern of prayer. And he said to you and I, when you pray, say this. Our Father, which art in heaven, I praise your name. Thank you for your goodness. We talked last week about, I want what you want in my life. Thy kingdom come, thy good will be done. Today we look at verse three, which says this. We're to pray to him and say this. Give us this day our daily bread. And you know, that's not talking about whole wheat bread. You understand what he's saying there is, ask me to bless you financially. Ask me to provide for your family. Can you see by him asking or telling you to ask this, that he's putting himself responsible for your finances? Can you see that by him asking this, he's accepting responsibility for your finances and he wants you to pray to him about finances. And uh, we're going to talk about that this morning. We've heard what the experts have to say. We need to hear what God has to say about money. And this applies to everybody because we all need it. And can you see in that verse, let me ask you if you can see this in that verse. Can you see a promise from God in that verse of divine financial security? What if God Almighty gave me every day everything I needed financially? Would I not have financial security for the rest of my life? I want to talk today. Here's the message today. When God opens his checkbook, how many of you believe that the heavenly father, God Almighty has a checkbook? Listen to this. This is Philippians 4. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. So he's got something called riches in glory. And he's already told me he'd supply everything I need financially. And he wants to be the source financially for you. We're going to look at that in scripture today. Um, I want you to look with me uh, at the, this, this promise. I'm going to give you something. <clears throat> We're living in a day of financial stress. I don't know if anybody knew that or not. This year has really uh, excavated it with the, with the, the, the 19er. And 19 has sucked trillions. And uh, we're living in a day of financial stress in people's lives. People struggle over money. I want to give you something from Scripture, and I want you to mark this place in Scripture, and you need to go back over and over and over. Let Him speak to you through Scripture about your finances. You can turn the page, one page, to Luke chapter 12, and this is where Jesus wants to talk to you about money, about your personal finances. And it's one of the most encouraging words in the Bible, and you need to remember this. And just mark this place and you go back when you're struggling financially or you get caught off guard financially. Just go back, and read this and let him encourage you. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 12, verse 22, the Bible said this. Jesus said to his disciples, only to disciples. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat about the body, what you'll put on. What do you say right there? I don't ever want my people worried about money. I don't ever want my people concerned about their money. And he tells me to do that. And then he makes a statement. I'm sure you agree with it. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Dear ones, life is not about what you own. 
It's not about your possessions. There's much, now all of us have to have stuff. All of us have to pay bills, but life is a whole lot more than money and what you can buy with it. You agree with that? It gives you two pictures. Verse 24, consider the ravens. Think about the birds. They don't sow. They don't plant seeds. They don't reap. They don't have a storehouse. They don't have a barn. God feeds them. Who feeds every bird on this planet? Who provides for every bird? All right, watch this. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Just write in your Bible, I've written to God. God feeds every bird on this planet. He wants you to know something. You are more valuable to me than all the birds combined. So what you're telling me, it's important to me that you be taken care of financially. He paints another picture. Well, let me throw this in. Verse 25, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Is anybody here that has ever cured anything through worry? So it was all wasted, wasn't it? What did Jesus say right there? All worry is waste. You, you never accomplish a thing by worrying. You can take your checkbook, your bill, lay it side by side on the table and look at it and worry hard. I mean, vibrate and worry. Nothing's going to happen. Worrying's not the answer for anything, he says. He paints another picture. Verse 27, consider the flowers. Look at flowers, how they grow. They don't toil and spin. They don't put out effort. Even Solomon in all his glory was not as beautiful as a flower. Would you agree with that? All right. Solomon was the top dresser in the Bible. He dressed extravagantly. And God said, the flowers look better than the best dresser. And then he says this in verse 28. If then God who so clothes the grass, you can put flowers there. No flower ever opens unless God's hand moves on it. He, he decorates the, now I love flowers myself. He does that. And then he says this. If God who clothes the flowers, which today is in the field, and then tomorrow they just burn up in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? If he'll do that for the flowers, he'll do it for you more because he cares more about you than the flowers. Oh, you've a little faith. Verse 29, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink and do not be worried. What do you say right there? Don't live your life worried about finances. Don't live your life pursuing money. Watch this, verse 30. All these things the nations of the world seek after. Can he, he said, I want my people to be different. He said, people are worried about money. They live for money. They live for the things money can buy. He said, not my people. We live for something else. And then that great verse, verse 31. I want you to remember this verse the rest of your life. Seek you first the kingdom of God. All your bills will be paid. Seek you first the kingdom of God. Everything you need financially will be added to you. Do you understand what God has just done to himself there? He has put himself on the hook for all of your financial needs. And he said this, you, you don't live for money. Don't, don't live worried about money, seeking it, figuring out. He said, you, you live to know me and be a part of what I'm doing in the earth and I'll pay every need you have for the rest of your life. What a tremendous promise verse 31 is. If verse 31 is true and you could believe it, you'd never worry about money for the rest of your life and you'd never lack anything for the rest of your life. If verse 31 breaks down, the whole Bible breaks down. If you can't trust Luke 12, 31 to take care of you financially, you can't trust John 3, 16 to get you into heaven because they came out of the same book. And then the great, he adds even more to that. Verse 32, he says this, don't you ever worry. Do not be afraid, little flock. It is your father's joy. It really pleases God to be able to pay your bills, to give you the kingdom. Now I had three children. We blessed our children. Uh, I would have picked up cans on the side of the road to feed my kids, just like you would. And I never begrudged feeding my kids or giving them anything. We, we did more than feed our kids. We blessed our kids. 
And my kids had it good. Their mama made sure that they had it good in life. And I never begrudged it. I never said crap. I wish I'd never had them. You understand that? Fathers just love to give things to their kids. Verse 32, he's saying this. That's my heart toward you. Don't you ever fear that it's not my joy. Listen, he doesn't say, well, Gabriel, write him a check. Maybe he'll shut up. It's his joy to bless you financially. And I want you to always remember that passage, Luke 12, 22 through 32. And when you're going through a rough place financially, just go back and read over it again. And let that word get down in your heart and you can just say, he's going to take care of me here. All right, there's a promise of divine. I'm going to tell you something. Every person, God will take care of you. There is a promise of divine security, financial security. Number two, we've got to learn a little bit more here. The second thing I want you to learn today is God gets people's attention through their pocketbooks. When he wants to get people's attention, he reaches for their pocketbook. This is all through scripture. And we've got to learn to look around financially what's going on and ask, what's he saying through finances? God speaks through money and he speaks through what goes on financially. This is all through the old covenant with Israel. It's in the New Testament, but he speaks through money. And uh, I'm going to give you a biblical principle all through the Bible. Here it is. Rebellion against God leads to bankruptcy court. Rebellion against God leads to bankruptcy court. He speaks through finances. And when finances disappear and get tough, we need to ask, is he saying something here? All right, where there are two pictures of this. This is on a personal level in the Bible, individually as a man or woman and as a nation. All right, let me just give you one of the places in the Bible where it talks about finances personally. If you turn a few more pages, we won't, I'll just quote it to you. But in Luke chapter 15 is a, Jesus is teaching about how God works in people's lives. He said, this is the kingdom of God. God working in people's lives is like this. It's Luke chapter 15. And he paints a picture called the parable of the good Samaritan. I'm excuse me, parable of the prodigal son. Have you ever heard of the prodigal son? All right, now remember that wasn't a real story. He made that up to teach us something. And there's a principle in there. What is the principle? All right, let me just walk, walk you through it. See if you can pick something up here. Here's a young man, a man, there's a father who is, who is God in the picture. A father has two sons and these young boys live a very good life financially. Their father's very wealthy. He owns a large ranch or a farm or both. And he has many hired hands working that farm for him. And these boys got it good financially. They live in a good life. But for some reason, the younger son made this decision. He said, I don't like you telling me what to do. I don't like living under your rules. And I'm, I'm going to leave from you and I'm going to get away as far as away as I can from you. And I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm tired of living like you want me to. Is that not what the younger son said? And he said to his father, I'm leaving you. I don't want to live under your rules anymore, but I want you to give me some money. And the father gave him a large, large sum of money. He gave him his inheritance early. He took that large sum of money. The Bible said he moved out. He went to a far country. The Bible said he wasted that money. He blew through that cash so fast. Verse 32 of Luke tells us he spent it on prostitutes. And he was just raising hell with that money and he blew through the money real quick. And then he ran out of money. And tough times hit. And he couldn't get a decent job. And the only job he could find was going into a field for a farmer feeding pigs. And the Bible said he was starving to death. And he said he would have eaten the pig food if the farmer would have let him. But the farmer said, don't eat my pig food. That's for the pigs. And the Bible said he almost starved to death. And he said, in that condition, he made a decision one day. He said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to say to him, I have sinned. I made a bad decision here. I should never have walked away from you. And I'll come back home and I'll live under your rules. 
He said, I know I don't deserve to be treated as a son. If you'd just give me a job. He said, your servants are throwing food away and I'm starving. He said, if you'll just give me a job, that way I can eat. The father embraced him immediately, forgave him and did what? Had the best clothes put on him put shoes on his feet, a ring on his hand, said, kill the prize calf and prepare a feast. And that boy was back in the money in no time at all. The moment he turned his heart back toward home, he was back in the cash again. Now that's a picture about a relationship with God. But dear ones, can you see in there? What did God use to get that boy's attention? He grabbed his pocketbook, didn't he? And he let him get hungry. And the moment his heart humbled himself and said, you're going to run my life again finances came back again. All through the Bible, you can see God speaking through finances in people's lives as individuals. Also, you follow the history of the Bible with nations. God deals with nations financially. He speaks to nations financially. Now he has a covenant with nations. It's Deuteronomy 28. We won't look at it. If you want to look at it sometime, he says, this is the deal I make with nations. Obey me and keep my commandments. You say, don't you believe in separation of church and state? No. Look what has happened since we separated God from America. Dear ones, we're in trouble. And you say, well, I don't believe in that. Starve. You cannot put your fist in the face of the creator and the source of all good and get away with it for long. Deuteronomy 28 says this, if you will obey me and keep my commandments, I will raise you up. I will bless you. I will bless your kneading bowl and your basket. I will raise you up above all the other nations. You shall lend the nations and you will never go in debt. That's his covenant with nations that says, honor me and I'll bless you. Did he bless this nation? No nation in the history of the world has had God's hand on it like this nation financially. We're still being blessed. Now we have top, the top of the mountain and we headed down the other side, but we were blessed. 2019, the gross domestic product in this nation was four and a half trillion dollars. You can't think that big. I can't think that big. Four and a half trillion. That's a thousand billion, which is a thousand million. The total money made in this nation is four and a half trillion in 2019. The next three countries on the list were Germany, Japan, and China. Those three nations combined didn't make that much money. We don't have a money problem in this nation. Why are we going deeper in debt if we're making so much money? Somewhere along the way, we must have forsaken the commandments of the Lord our God. And then that covenant flips in Deuteronomy 28 and it says this, but if you ever change and you disregard my commandments and you begin to worship idols, I will bring you down. I will curse the fruit of your field. You will be the tail and not the head. You will be below. You will not lend to nations. You will borrow from other nations. A nation you have not known will rise over you. China. And that's, that's God's covenant with nations. It's just this simple. Honor me, obey me. I'll bless you financially. Put your fist in my face. I'll step back. And that's where we're at as a nation right now. And you have this in, this is individually and both. Now listen to me carefully. I got to tell you something here. That's, his, that's the word of God. There are two exceptions to what I just said in the Bible. Two exceptions and here they are. Not everybody that's in financial trouble is in there because God put them in there. Got it? Malachi chapter three, verse 11 teaches us that there is a thief and there is a, there is a, there is a devourer and Satan himself will attack people's finances and he'll steal. That's what thieves do. They steal stuff. 
He'll steal their money. That's Malachi chapter three, verse 11. You can see in numerous places. So don't misunderstand me. Not everybody that's in financial trouble is in trouble because God put them there. Some people have been assaulted financially by the enemy. He'll steal your money. On the flip side, not everybody that's rich got rich because God made them rich. All right. Hugh Hefner didn't get rich by the hand of God. I promise you that. The Bible teaches in Luke chapter four, verses five through seven, the Bible teaches that Satan makes people rich and Satan makes people famous and Satan sets people over the kingdoms of this world. Here's the deal. If you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all these things. Many of our top entertainers today have been made famous and rich, not by God, but by Satan himself to promote his causes. And you say, well, hey, they got famous and rich. Well, let me point something out to you. You can make a deal with the devil and you might get rich and you might get famous, but you're going to have hell to pay one day when it's over. He is not somebody you want to be making a deal with. God Almighty, when you make a deal with him, you begin to follow him. The blessing of the Lord maketh one rich and he addeth no sorrow to it. He don't pull the rug out from underneath you later on. He's not a liar. He tells the truth. So I just want you to understand because somebody's struggling financially. I've been in financial struggles, but it wasn't because I was in sin. It's because old horny head got in there, but praise God through prayer and faith, he got out there too. All right. I want you to understand that. All right. So that's his covenant uh, with nations. Let me bring a prophetic word about our nation. And this is from the prophetic voices around the nation. This is for the, this is from financial people who don't even follow God. We're headed for a train wreck in this nation. We're facing a financial train wreck in this nation. It's the hand of God. He's speaking through it. Now, if you're like 95, 96, 97, you're probably going to be okay. But if you was planning on 30 more years in this nation, and uh, what did we see this past year? We're on a downward trajectory. The problem, the greatest problem this nation faces today is called national debt. It is the judgment of God on a land that disobeyed him. And what did we learned this past year, one tiny bug so small you can't even see it from China can bring the greatest nation on earth to its knees financially. It's, it's not about the trajectory. The trajectory can fall off real fast when something unexpected happens. And that's why you need to hear what I'm fixing to say here from scripture. Uh, debt always equals rebellion. All right, number three, here's the third thing we want to see today. Divine prosperity in a day of national judgment. There was divine prosperity. God will provide for his own, even if the nation's in rebellion against him. You got to get this. I love my nation. I'm a purity patriot. I tell you that. I don't listen to people whine about this nation. Go find a perfect nation and fly there. I love my nation. It's not perfect. There's not a perfect nation on this planet because they got people in them. You get all the people out of a nation, it'll be perfect. But I tell you, this nation has been good to us. We've had opportunities here other people hadn't had. And I've been to those third world countries where you couldn't call anybody and you didn't stand a chance. So we've been blessed, but this nation's in trouble financially. And I want you to hear what the Bible says about this. I want you to look with me at that truth, divine prosperity and a day of national judgment in 1 Kings chapter 17. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings 17. There are many pictures of this in scripture, but this is one of the great pictures he showed this to me years ago. And uh, this, is the, this is the place where you learn, even when there's great strain around me, I can be at peace financially. 
right, 1 Kings 17. We're dealing with the nation of Israel. Now, let me teach you something from Scripture about nations. Unto whom much is given, much is expected. God holds nations responsible to the degree that He has blessed them. And Israel is the, it may be the, is the only nation on this planet that's been blessed more than America is. But we've been blessed tremendously in this nation. We've been given financial resources. Not only that, we have heard the word of God like no nation ever has. Therefore, we are responsible like no nation is. And in this nation, we're dealing with nation Israel right now. And this, uh, if you know the history of Israel, this is the place in their national history where they absolutely rebelled against God. They turned away from him. They quit keeping his commandments. They replaced the worship of God with idol worship. They began to sacrifice their children to foreign gods. They went into absolute rebellion against God. And this is the result of it. Uh, in Israel, you had a king and you had a priest. I'm, excuse me, a prophet. And the prophet spoke for God. The king was supposed to be leading the nation. First Kings 17, 1. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, who is the king, he went to see the king and he said, here's a word from God for you. As, of the, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there will not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. You got it? God sends a message to the king and he said, because of your sins, it's not going to rain on your land for three years, three and a half years. And your nation's going to go bankrupt and people are going to starve and this is the judgment of the Lord on your house. Ahab was an evil king, a wicked man that turned against God. And matter of fact, he began to worship Satan and married Satan Jr. Her name was Jezebel. And uh, all right, you got it. Here's what happened right here. Now, I want you to notice the name Elijah. Elijah is two Hebrew words put together. Eli is the Hebrew word for my God is. Jah is the short and firm of the word, form of the word Jehovah. So his name literally meant my God is Jehovah. I have chosen to worship God. And... Uh, so that's their meeting. So he goes and he confronts the king and he says to the king, because of the way your nation's treated God, trouble's coming. All right, we're going to fast forward a few months. After the judgment came, fast forward a few months. I want you to learn something about politicians from the Bible here. All right, chapter 18 of 1 Kings, verse 17. Now this is a few months after that. It happened when Ahab, 1 Kings 18, 17, Ahab saw Elijah. Ahab said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Now he's mad at the preacher. And the politician, the king said, the problem with this nation is you preachers messing it up. And you narrow-minded, hard to get along with preachers. If we had you out of this nation, we'd be fine. Let me make an announcement. The problem in a nation is not the preachers if they're preaching God's word. What's the answer from God in verse 18? He answered and said, I have not troubled Israel. You and your father's house have in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have worshiped idols. There's the answer right there. If a nation's in financial trouble and a nation's crashing in debt, it is because they have forsaken the commandments of the Lord their God and have begun to worship idols. Very clear what the scripture teaches here about this. All right, so this nation got in trouble and, and there was nothing they could do. I mean, they, uh, this was the most advanced nation at the world at the time, just like Israel is technology-wise right, technology right now. And God just brought them to a grinding halt financially. All right, here's the message. Here's the good part. Look back with me at 1 Kings 17. The Lord has pronounced judgment. He's brought judgment on the nation. But now here's the message of God to those who follow him in verse 2. Then, after he pronounced judgment, the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward. Hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. 
it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. All right. Judgment comes on the land, but God speaks to those who love him. And he said, you, you just get away from the king because he's fixing to kill you anyway. He wants to kill you anyway. And you go hide out in the woods and you just camp by this brook. Elijah liked that because he was an outdoorsman anyway. You just go hide by the brook and said, drink out of the brook. And every morning for three and a half years, right after daylight, birds showed up with meat and bread. Every evening as the sunset, birds showed up again with meat and bread for three and a half years. And Elijah just lived right in the middle of that national mess and enjoyed his life playing outdoors, fishing in the river and had uh, Big Macs delivered in the evening and salt your egg muffins in the morning or whatever they were. Let me ask you a question. Can you see the hand of God in that? I'm ever thinking birds just happen to be flying that way. That 1800 days. Come on, connect the dots. What's the message? Even if the nation goes into judgment, you honor me, I will supernaturally provide for my own every day. I'll give them daily bread. What do he say? Ask me, give us this day our daily bread. And this is a miracle of God that even when other people bring judgment on them, it will not affect those who Jehovah is my God. I will honor him. Let me tell you something. I don't know what's going to happen in this nation in the future. I know it, we've reached the place as a nation. It is mathematically impossible now for us to go another 40 years like this. The Congressional Budget Office tells us that. But let me tell you what else I know. There is a God who rules from on high and his checkbook is never going to run out of anything. And if birds have to bring me, if the USPS stops delivering a check, birds will bring it to the house. God Almighty is going to take care of those who put their faith in him. Can I get a witness? Now, this is the message of the Lord here. And you need to decide, yes, I'm going to do my part, but... My faith is in the God who created heaven and earth and I'm going to honor him. And you can rest in this and you can relax. That's why he said, take no thought. Do not worry about it. So there's a divine promise of divine prosperity. Even if judgment comes on the nation, you'll be taken care of. And let me make an announcement. Now, what does it mean? Bread and meat. He said, I'll bless you bread. Why do you bring meat in there? He's not just going to give you what you need. The Lord is good. My wife asked me when she said, why does one man have four boats in the yard? I said, how many shoes you got in the closet? I found out it's not, that's apples and oranges, she said. It's not the same thing. God has blessed me tremendously. He hasn't just given me bread to get by. He's given me the desires of my heart. And I just want to make an announcement. His checkbook is not hinged to the national debt. He rules. The book of Malachi said he, listen to this, he owns all the silver and all the gold. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Right, listen, he's got the cash and you're his child. He'll care for you. Now, divine prosperity in days like this is hinged on four things from scripture. Here they are. Number one, the Lord is your God. When the prodigal, let's go back to the prodigal son, when he said, that was dumb for me to not want to obey him. I think I'm going to go back and start obeying him again. In a moment, he was blessed financially. Deuteronomy 28 again. Honor me. Keep my commandments. I will make you the head and not the tail. You'll never have to borrow money. Just, just put him first in your life. Serve the Lord. Number two, 
I, we've had fun up to now, but we're not going to have any fun now. And I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but it's in here. So I got to say it. Divine prosperity is on hinged on your willingness to get out of bed and go to work. I didn't think I'd get one amen out of that. Lo and behold, I got three. That's not bad. In that covenant, Deuteronomy 28, let me quote the verse to you. If you will honor me and obey my commandments, I will bless the work of your hands. If your hands don't work, you ain't got nothing to bless. I've had people say, well, I'm going to live by faith. You're going to starve. Faith means get up and go to work and then trust God to make the difference. Trust him to provide, trust him to promote you over people that are smarter than you. Trust him to promote you over people that have got better educations than you. Trust him that your business will grow when everybody else's business around you shrinks because they've started selling pornography. Trust, you do your part, he will do his part. That's what it means, get up and go to work. We, something terrible happened in this nation about 30 years ago. Work was honorable in this nation for years and years. When I was a boy, I heard this over and over when I was a boy. We don't take no charity here. People were offended if you tried to give them something. Now they're offended if you don't. We need to teach our kids Manual labor is not a pop singer from Mexico. It's what made this nation great. Are you with me? I had a buddy who went in the shoe store not long ago, took his teenage boy in there and said, the manager walked up, said, get a help you. He said, said, you got any loafers? He said, stay right here. I'll see if I can get one to wait on you. Just don't go anywhere. It has become vogue in this nation to try to get out of work. That is ungodly. We made a great mistake in this land. We wanted to give our children what we never had and we did it, but we robbed them. We didn't give them what we did have. We didn't give them the opportunity to struggle and start at the bottom and do without and go through those hard days and learn the great lessons that come from having to struggle and get there and the pride and the accomplishment that comes from starting on the bottom and working hard. We stole something by making it too easy. All righty. <clears throat> Psalm 128 verse 2 says this, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who honors the Lord. You will eat the produce of your labor and God will bless it. You, you got to get up, give him something to bless. Ephesians 4, 28 says this. Let him who stole steal no longer, even through the ballot box. Now it's not going to go over real well, but I'm going to say it. One of our great founding fathers said this. When the people of this nation find out they can write themselves a check out of the treasury, that will be the beginning of the end of the prosperity of this nation. It's a great mistake we made. One of our greatest congressmen ever, the gentleman from Tennessee, the Honorable Davy Crockett. When the first bill ever introduced in Congress to help somebody financially because they were in trouble was introduced, he stood up and fought it tooth and nail. He said, this is the beginning of the end of this nation if we start providing for people out of the budget. He said, I'm willing to give a week's salary and I ask every man in this room to give a week's salary to meet the need, but we cannot start paying people's bills through the budget. He said, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. That was America just a few years ago. The Bible is very clear. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm not even gonna say this one because you wouldn't believe it. You're gonna have to see this one. Turn me to 2 Thessalonians. I remember talking about this about a year ago and I got the ugliest emails. I'm just a paper boy, doc. Call the editor if you don't like what it says. All righty. 
Here's the standard. Let me show you the standard. Second Thessalonians chapter three is where the Bible talks about our attitude toward work. So God can bless the labor of our hands. Listen, we need a brand new attitude toward work in this nation. Second Thessalonians three, we'll put in about verse seven. Second Thessalonians three, seven. You yourselves know how you ought to follow us. We were not disorderly. Verse eight, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge but work with labor and toil night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you. This is the greatest preacher that ever lived. And he said, I will not take a dime from anybody. He worked a job to be able to preach. Does anybody know what his job was? Tent maker. He, he said, I labored and toiled day and night making tents to pay my own way rather than take your money. Verse nine, not because we don't have authority to make ourselves, but we want to be an example of how you should follow us. What's the example? Decide you're going to take care of yourself. Verse 10, even when we were with you, we commanded you this. Now here's the words people choke on. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Who wrote that? Dear ones, you, you say, this is so ugly. No, we have damned people by not letting them know the joy of hard labor and accomplishment and success. Let me tell you something about this land you live in right now. The greatest opportunity on this planet is in this land. There is much food, I'm quoting Proverbs here, there is much food in the unplowed field of the lazy man. I didn't make that up, that's what the Bible says. The opportunity is there. <laughs> Listen, get off your knees and quit praying and find you what they call the want ads and start knocking on some doors. Can I get a witness? All right. All right, bunch of rednecks. Now, the Bible says this, <laughs> verse 12. Those who are such, we command and exhort through the Lord Jesus. They work in quietness and eat their own bread. That's pretty clear, isn't it? I didn't mean to go a little long on that, but some of you never heard it before. God will bless everything I'm going to do. God will bless me financially if I will make him my God and get out of the bed. Can I get a witness? Number three, <clears throat> and this is the scripture teaches this, it's called the tithe. Turn with me to Mount, turn to the last book in the Old Testament. This is the only verse in the Bible where God allows you to test him. Malachi chapter three. You won't find it anywhere else in the Bible. If you find it somewhere else, send me a note. I want to see it. This is the only place in the Bible where God said, put me to the test. It's the only place where you're allowed to test him. Now, do you remember Luke chapter four when Satan tried to get Jesus to jump off the top of the temple and said, he said his angels would take care of you. And God said, you don't test the Lord your God. You don't tempt him. You don't do something foolish trying to prove that he's who he is. But this is the one place in the Bible where he said, you do this and test me. It's the only place you're allowed to test him in the Bible. Malachi chapter three, verse eight. Will a man rob God? Let's just pause right there. Is that dumb or what? How do you think you're going to rob somebody that sees everything? You think you're going to get away with it? My goodness. Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you've robbed me the whole nation. Here's the call. Verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Right there it is. Only place in the Bible where God says, test me. It says the Lord of hosts, and I will not, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. What do verses 10 and 11 tell me? Test me. Try me. You bring me the tithe and you see if I don't open the windows of heaven over your life. And I'll provide so much for you that there's not room enough to receive it. Now see the word window right there? When we think of window, we think of something you raise to let air in. It's the Hebrew word sluice gate. 
uh, one of how we go a certain highway to get down to Wadesboro, that area, and you cross the PD River, and to the right, about 300 yards, is the great dam that holds back Lake Tillery. That huge dam, big concrete wall there, it has gates in it called sluice gates. And when they open those gates, water just comes gushing out from the reservoir that's back there and then goes down into the PD River. That's the word there. What'd God say? Let me make an announcement. He has a tremendous reserve in heaven. What'd he say? Test me. You bring the tithe into my house. You see if I do not open the sluice gates of heaven and I will pour you out so much. And he's talking about financial so that you don't have room enough to receive it. I went in the house other than open the refrigerator and something fell out. And Katie said, I'm sorry about that. I said, what are you sorry for? I said, God tells the truth. Look here. He said there wouldn't be room enough to receive it. We can't get it all packed in the frigidaire there. You can go to my barn right now. It's junk all over the place. There's not room enough to receive it. Go in my children's room. Ain't room enough to receive it there. There Listen, if you can't trust Malachi chapter three to pay your bills, you can't trust John 3, 16 to get you into heaven either. This man tells the truth. Now that's not all. Watch this. Verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He will not destroy the fruit of your ground. A businessman that'll honor God with the tithe, when the enemy comes and tries to steal the profit from his business, God will say, stand back. What, is it? what does it mean, the fruit of your ground? You do the sowing, you put out the effort. The fruit is the prosperity. He said, I will rebuke anything that tries to touch you financially. I'll rebuke it. I'll, I'll protect you around there financially. I pray every day and I thank God, <clears throat> not only that he's blessed us, our family financially and blessed our church financially. I thank him every day that he's going to provide for my family. We're trusting him and we're going to get up and go to work, but our faith is in him. And I thank him that what he gives me will never be touched by darkness. He'll surround me and he'll protect. One of the greatest verses in the Bible is in the book of Job where Satan said, talking about Job, he said, you have built a protective wall around that man, around his family, and around everything you've given him, and I can't touch him. Boy, I'd love to have that. Well, I don't know if I want my name brought up here or not after seeing what happened to Job. But, well, how great would that be for God Almighty to, stand, to give you something and then stand there and protect it and make sure that medical bills, unforeseen incidents didn't take it and steal the produce of the land. So that's the tithe. And, and what a tremendous promise that is. Let me throw you one more now. Right, listen, he's my God. I'm going to get up and go to work. Work is a good thing at our house. We taught our children to work. <clears throat> Number three, I'm going to bring the tithe into the storehouse. But what's the fourth one? Let's cycle back to where we began. Ask me. When you pray, say this. Bless our family financially. Give us this day our daily bread. I trust you to meet the needs of our family. And the Bible tells me and you to pray and ask him. Now listen to this. <clears throat> Give us this day our monthly bread. Annual bread. You need to pray this every day. Thank you, Father. I praise you that you've blessed our family financially. Thank you that no matter what happens, you're going to meet our need. If you go in tomorrow and you get laid off, you stand up and say, I praise you and thank you that you're going to provide for my family. You're going to provide for our daily bread. Listen, God will bless you and meet the need in this thing. And this is, this is the promise of the Lord that if we'll... Can you not hear his heart? Let me tell you something. This, his heart is... I'll do everything in the world to keep from judging you. But if you keep sticking your fist in my face, you're going to suffer the consequences. I want to be good to you as a father wants to be good to his children. Ask me. All right. Years ago, I saw this. Katie and I started out. We was poor as a church mouse. Rented an old farmhouse down near Siler City. Had no heat. Didn't have any duct work in the house. Only heat we had was a wood stove. 
And, uh, you know, bless your dear heart that, what's that old proverb? A man who cuts his own wood will be heated by it twice. Well, I sure did. We didn't buy that wood. We cut it up. We burned it in there. And I had to go get the stove warmed up before she'd get out of bed. We started out with just nothing. But I knew this from day one. We're going to trust God. We're going to tithe and we're going to honor him. And God has blessed the fire out of our family financially. I've always had this thing about faith for finances. God has just blessed me with it. Uh, when I came to this church, we couldn't hardly pay the bills here and fix them to go under. But I knew this. God provides for what he asks for. And if you'll trust him, he'll do it. I've been at this church 18 years. There's never been one day in those 18 years that I hadn't gone in my closet and prayed for him to bless my family financially, this church, and your families too. And I've trusted him to do it. And he's been faithful. to He's been good to us. Uh, Secretary told me the other day, said in the last few years, we've had $40 million flow through here that God has blessed us with. Let me tell you something. Do I stand up here and beg for money? Do I twist your arm and tell you my man got no shoes to wear? <laughs> You've never heard me ask for a dime for this church. Now I've asked for other ministries, but I've never said a dime about money for this church. You know why? God provides for what he asked for. If you go in that closet and pray, he'll do your family the same way. And you need to trust him for this. All right, we got to make a decision today. Am I going to trust my education? Am I going to trust my intelligence, my go-get attitude? Or am I going to trust in the Lord God? Now listen, that doesn't mean you shouldn't get an education. You need an education. It doesn't mean you shouldn't get up and work hard and, and, and take risks and trust God to bless you financially with your business and things. But the bottom line is, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Trust Him for this thing. Let's make a decision today. Let me tell you how this goes. I have a buddy named Ken Helzer. We lived beside each other for years, became dear friends. Ken was a, a rock and roll singer in the 60s. He's was on a program called Dave Clark Five. And he got saved and he decided he wanted to help people instead of rocking and rolling. So the first thing he did, he started a ministry called Youth Unlimited. And he bought a big track of land out in the woods and he'd bring troubled kids on drugs and pregnant teenagers out there. And he tried to help them this thing called Youth Unlimited. Well, it was what they call a faith ministry. You know what that means, don't you? Good luck is what it means. That's faith ministry. Good luck. And they were just trusting God to provide and trusted people to meet their needs and and whatnot. And he said, I was sitting there one night in my den and Linda, his wife came in and she did the finances. She had the checkbook and the ledger and the, all that. And she said, Ken, it's, it's just impossible. She said, I don't, I've been balancing and trying to balance the books. I just don't think we can make it. And he said, I hear what you're saying. I'm not denying what you say, but he said, we're fixing to make a decision right now that's going to affect us the rest of our lives. And he took the checkbook and then he took his Bible and he said, I laid them side by side on the autumn. And I said to her, now we're going to decide. Which one of these books are we going to believe? And which book are we going to live by? He said, now we're not going to deny what that one says. But he said, if we're going to trust that checkbook to dictate our lives, then I'm going to go get a job and start a business. We're getting out of this Christian stuff. But if we decide we're going to trust the Bible and we're going to trust God, I don't care what that other book says, God will do what he said he'd do and we're going to trust him. And he said, now let's pray and let's decide. And that night they decided no matter what that book on the right looked like, that book on the left, which was the Bible, would call the shots. And they'd trust God. And now 40 years later, God's blessed them tremendously. And many people helped, many good things have happened. But it all came down to making a decision. We're going to do our part. We're going to work hard. We're going to trust God. We're going to invest. But the bottom line is our hope is in the promise of God, not the bank ledger. And I want you to make that same decision today. I want you to get educated. Listen, businessmen ought to be begging, send me a Christian to work for me. They ought to get there early. 
They ought to be the best workers. They ought to go, when somebody goes, says go one mile, you go two miles. I mean, people ought to be begging Christians to come to work. They ought to be the best employees there are. <laughs> I wish they were. But we're going to make a decision. I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to tell you something. Once I pray one prayer and trust him, guess what I'm going to do then? I'm going to go home and go to sleep and say, it's not my business anymore. He's in charge. And I'm going to trust him. I want you to be at peace financially. All right, let me tell you what financial security is. It's not how much money you got in the bank. I had friends of mine went on vacation with another family. They stayed in a beach house together. And he said, he said he was a multimillionaire. Guy had been a millionaire. Had a lot of money, had businesses. Said he'd jump out of bed first thing every morning, go get on that computer and scroll the stocks and see what was in there and nervous about what the stocks had done. That's not security. Matt, you need to get up and look at the sunshine first. Don't stick your face in front of a computer. That man's not secure. He's worried about the future. Let me tell you what financial security is. Financial security is the promise of God and peace. It's when you say, he's going to take care of me. I don't care what it looks like. He's going to meet the need. And I am not worried. And I'm at peace about this thing. George Mueller was the man who started, was famous for starting the orphanages in London in the 1800s. Kids didn't have orphanages. The government didn't take care of kids back then. They just lived in the streets, abused, prostituted children. He started those great orphanages to care for the children, had thousands of children under his care. One day the chairman of his board came to him and said, uh, things aren't looking good financially, are they? And Mr. Mueller said, they've never been better. He said, it's going great. He said, Mr. Mueller, I hate to ask this. Tell me exactly what do you have? And Mr. Mueller smiled. He said, I've got 35 cent in the promise of God. How much do I need? 35 cent. And he fed thousands of children every day all his life, never lacked a dime because he trusted God. You can do the same thing. I'm telling you, he provides for his kids. Lord Jesus, I want to pray now and thank you and praise you for your goodness. The thought that a man like me would go pick up cans on the side of the road to provide for his children because he loves them and that you wouldn't provide for your children is ludicrous. I want to praise you and thank you. Your word said your father knows you have financial needs. You know we need homes to live in. You know, we have to have cars to drive and gas to go in those cars. Lord Jesus, I don't think we need some of the fancy cars we've got now, but that's beside the point. You know, we need things. You know, we need food. We've got to have clothes for our children. Our kids have got to go to school. You're the one who said, I know that you've got needs. You seek ye first the kingdom of God. Your financial well-being is my responsibility. I pray in the name of Jesus, let's go into the hearts of people today that they can enterprise and take risks and start businesses and, or move up in their companies or, and they can do it with peace. I have no idea what the future of this nation is. I know what your word says, but I know this. Those who trust you, their financial future is not dictated by the nation. It's dictated by the promise of God. And I pray for every person in this room as they go out here today, they can know my bills are paid. My father tells the truth. He's going to look after me and meet my need. I trust you for that. Thank you that you've met every human need. I praise you and thank you. You created us as such needy people. We can't even live without air. Got to have food and clothes and shelter and air. And you created us needy so we could trust you and you could provide every need. And I thank you and praise you. Your promises never failed and they never will. And we declare from this day forward, your name is Jehovah Yireh, the God who meets all my needs. Trust you for that. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.